the glory of God that Isaiah experiences is not simply to be felt by Isaiah, it is to be felt by the rest of the known earth. That the reason we bring people to faith in Christ is not simply so that they can go to heaven when they die, but so that they can proclaim with everything they have the name of Jesus. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory." And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am. Send me. Chris Wright, in his book, The Mission of God, says, It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And you'll see that all throughout the scripture, even in the Old Testament, where God is constantly and consistently calling and telling people to go. He does that with Abraham, a man who is old in age, in retirement years, who doesn't have a child, and yet God says, go to a place of which I cannot tell you, have a son of which you do not know, and out of thee all the descendants shall spread, and you shall be a blessing to the nation. So Abraham goes. Moves on down through the patriarchs to Jacob who wrestled and struggled with God and tried to gain what God was going to give him anyway without his human effort and without his human struggle. And one night, rather than walking with God, he began to wrestle with God. And out of that wrestling, he said, I will not leave this place unless you bless me. And out of that wrestling, Jacob's hip was knocked out of socket and he had to limp for the rest of his life. But his limping without God was way more effective than his walking without God. He limped better than he walked because God was now with him, and he went, and he sojourned. It says the same of of Joseph, who had to leave his brother, sold into slavery, to dwell in a foreign land, to die a foreign death. It happens with Moses, who is in Egypt after 400 years of bondage, and God says, go to the promised land. Even though you've never been there before, even though you'll have to cross over a sea to get there, our God is always a sending God. We see this even with the tabernacle moving around in the Old Testament. A lot of times people think of of church as a building or a location, but it has not always been this way. In fact, for most of church history, this is probably not true. For in the Old Testament times, that tabernacle was constructed specifically in such a way that it could be taken down almost as fast as it was put up. 
Because the God of this universe does not dwell ultimately in houses made with hands. Even when that temple was built, it was not the permanent dwelling place for God, for it would be destroyed. Instead, the dwelling place for God would be in human hearts. And he calls his people to go. And now the prophet Isaiah must preach a tough message to a tough-hearted people. Israel had sinned. Israel had fallen away from the covenant of the Lord. They had forgotten that they were to be God's people, even though he was always faithful as their God. And now, in the middle of all of this destruction, all of this chaos, all of this death, Isaiah the prophet receives a message of the Lord like one other. You know, it's one thing to know about God. It's an entirely different thing to know God. It's one thing to know about the characteristics of God, but it's an entirely different thing to know the character of God. Because when we see the Lord, as Isaiah describes him, high and lifted up, that is the, the train of his robe, just the hem of his garment, fills the temple in that place, and the people can get no higher than the ground. And when Isaiah hears the seraphim, those burning ones, those angels filled with light, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The only thing that he can do, his response, is to get on his knees and say, woe is me, for I am undone. Because, brothers and sisters, when you dwell in the presence of God, the first thing you better feel is unworthy. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So how can a man of unclean lips, dwelling within a people of unclean lips, proclaim the message of the Lord? When the blessing of Israel to the nations looks more and more like a curse every single day, his response is our response, just the sinner's prayer. Woe is me, for I am undone. And then God does something entirely unusual. He sends one of these angels off of the altar to grab a piece of burning coal on the altar, likely a piece of coal that would have lit an animal sacrifice at some point before he takes the tip of that and he puts that right on Isaiah's mouth and he says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Because at the moment when Isaiah feels his own inadequacy for the task, when he feels that he comes up short for the mission, that is the moment when the anointing of God manifest itself in his life because I don't care what or who you're after nothing or no one can replace the anointing of God on your life that's why David says restore to me the joy of salvation because he knew what it was to walk with God it will cause you to leave your stuff It'll cause you to forsake what you love. It'll cause you to give your life if you can just get back to the place where you've seen the glory of the living God. And this is the argument throughout all of Scripture, that if you see God high and lifted up for who He is and you see yourself for who you are, you will never be the same. You will spend the rest of your days trying to get back to that place where you saw the Lord and trying to help others find it too. 
so God calls to Isaiah and says, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. The rest of that passage is not an encouraging one because he says, you go and you speak to a people whose ears will not hear. You go and you talk to people whose eyes will not see. You go to people whose minds will not understand. And we have to understand that most of the time when we preach the gospel message, the vast majority of those who hear it will reject it because of the hardness of heart. And so God is not looking for a success rate. How many did you win? How many did you baptize? How much money did you have? Because if Isaiah and Jeremiah are on the success card, they're failures in the world's eyes. Instead, he is looking for faithfulness from his people. Faithfulness to proclaim his word. And he tells Isaiah that at the end of all of these days, there will be people who will hear. There will be people who, having not seen it, see it. Having not heard it, they understand it. And the people who the world often thinks of least are very often the ones that God uses the most. Isaiah, woe is me, I am undone. Do you feel unworthy? Do you feel inadequate in sharing the mission of God? Well, I couldn't tell somebody about Jesus. I'm not worthy. You're exactly the type of person that God will use. Not many mighty, not many wise men after the flesh, not many noble are called. You know, there's a difference between Uncle Sam and the Lord God, isn't there? There's a lot of differences, but there's one in particular about how people are recruited in the kingdom of God. I like this from John Piper. He says the difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you're healthy. And Jesus won't enlist you unless you're sick. What is God looking for in the world? Assistance? No. The gospel is not a help wanted ad. It is a help available ad. God is not looking for people to work for him, but people who let him work mightily in and through him. That when you see God for who he is, you'll never be the same. And you won't be able to keep it to yourself. And that's where missions comes into play. It was true in Paul's life. One moment he was railing against the church, and the next moment he was planting them. What God does, there's a passage later on in the New Testament where they call and they say, wasn't this guy the one that used to take us out? And they said, only one thing we know. We know that the guy who used to assail us is now laboring for the faith he once tried to destroy. That's what God does when he gets a hold of your life and he turns you around. You do the opposite of what you used to do and you take other people along. That's what he does. And so we've been given a mandate from our Lord. We've been called to be wherever we are on mission for Christ. Jesus will say in his last departing words in Acts 1H that you shall be my witnesses and my disciples in Judea at home, in Samaria, the regions beyond, in Jerusalem, Judea, to the nation, and then to the ends of the earth. And so somebody will ask, well, why should we do missions abroad when we've got plenty of people here at home? There's only one reason. Because God said to. Because he told us to. It's never this either or proposition in the kingdom of God. It's both and. We do missions abroad because we do them here at home. We do missions at home because we do them abroad. 
Because the glory of God that Isaiah experiences is not simply to be felt by Isaiah, it is to be felt by the rest of the known earth. That the reason we bring people to faith in Christ is not simply so that they can go to heaven when they die, but so that they can proclaim with everything they have the name of Jesus that is above every name, so that they can say to the ends of the earth, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and power. And when the church lifts up the name of Jesus, the world can't help but take notice. God himself is glorified. George Mallory, the famous mountain climber who died on Mount Everest, was always asked, why do you climb the mountain? His response was pretty simple. He said, because it's there. You can ask us for missions. Why do you go to the ends of the earth? Because they're there. God has called us to reach them. That's why we do what we do. That's why we build this building. That's why we go to crossroads, so that other people might go, so that other people might believe. One of the neat things that God has allowed us to be a part of within the Southern Baptist Convention is a structure that allows that to happen. So we as a a local church, and then on the association level, a network of churches, and then on the state level through our own convention, And then on the national level, we are able to partner together for the purpose and propagation of the gospel. 10% of everything you give goes straight to cooperative program missions and ministry. We have 3,500 missionaries around the world who are proclaiming the gospel solely because you give. Fully funded, fully supportive. And one of the ideas that we have had in the last few years is what is known as the the 1040 window. If you're familiar with that in your geography class, you go to 10 degrees latitude, 40 degrees longitude. It'll put you on a global scale right around Southeast Asia. That is the most heavily populated area in the world. 40% of the world's population lives in this little 1040 window, the vast majority of whom are going to hell. And so what we've done on a national and international level is significantly targeted those areas and put a great proportion of our missionaries there so that they will hear the gospel. Billions of people on this planet connected with technology, many of whom do not know the name of Jesus. Can you imagine? And so it is incredibly important for us to go to where he has not been heard, but it is just as important for us to go to the places where he has been misheard. And that is true, especially in the nation of Brazil. This past week, I spent time there in Sao Paulo, a city of 22 million people. It is the largest city in the Americas, bigger than New York, one of the 10 largest cities in the world. And what they are hearing is not the gospel but a distortion of the gospel. They're hearing a a prosperity gospel, that God wants to give you wealth and health, that God wants to save you through material things. And we know that the God of the Bible manifests himself not in that which is material, but that which is immaterial, not in that which is finite, but that which is infinite. They're hearing teachings from a church that is proclaiming a works-based salvation. Do this and be saved. When the scripture says simply believe and be saved, and because you believe, that is what you'll do. And in the late 1800s, a group of Southern Baptist missionaries went to this country 
and founded a network of churches that is now spread across the entire nation so that they are now a mirror image of the Southern Baptist Convention here with churches and associations and state conventions and a national convention that has approximately 2 million members in a nation of well over 200 million. The estimates are that as much as 90% of Brazil does not know Christ, Savior, and Lord. And we have a couple of different groups that we classify people by. We have those who are known, who are reached. That is, the gospel has at least gotten to them. It doesn't mean that everybody's received the gospel, but they've at least had an opportunity to receive the gospel. Then we have our known unknowns. Those are people that we, we know haven't received the gospel, but they still don't have access to it. That can be in closed countries, countries where Christianity is not allowed, and so the gospel does not penetrate through those countries. And then we have what are called the unknown unknowns, that 57% of the nation of Brazil is covered by Amazon rainforest. We know that even in 2018, years and years of all this human civilization, there are still tribes that exist that we don't know about. If you've ever watched specials on Discovery or National Geographic or any of these things, they'll show you where they have done literal flyovers through the rainforest and have seen tribal people that they cannot identify but they know that they're there. And Jesus has told us to get the gospel to them. We have a tremendous responsibility and a tremendous opportunity to do such things. And so what we did during our time there is we went through several of the areas and toured the cities. We went through the, the favelas, all are called the slums here. You can see kind of a, a photo of that, what it looks like, houses and huts piled on top of uh, of each other. It's an ancient version of squatter's rights. So years ago, if you see a piece of land and it's open, you get you a cardboard box, you get you a rock, you get you whatever you can, and you try your best to build a home there. And pretty soon somebody else builds on top of that until you've got a community of 120,000 people of houses built on top of each other without proper plumbing or electricity or any of the things that you and I take for granted. See that community behind you and multiply it by 5,000, and that's the population of Sao Paulo. Communities gated, locked because of crime rate. And yet the gospel still has to get there too. We have a specific missionary who goes into those slum areas, areas where it's gang-ridden and dangerous to go. He goes under an alias and he goes specifically to get the gospel to people there who have not heard. That's our job. We got to go to churches in different areas and seeing the, the gospel proclaimed. People who don't have a lot of money, materially speaking, most of which the, the pastors are working to make ends meet, but the gospel is being shared and it is being proclaimed. And they're asking, will you come and help us? And oftentimes we have to weigh what is the best way that we can help. Can we go down there and spend thousands of dollars ourselves on plane tickets and other things that are expensive? Or should we just send money? And there's a tension there for sure. But I would argue there is a special blessing for the people who go when they return, and there is a special blessing for the people who you see. I can't tell you how many people were just thrilled to see us, that people would leave their jobs and go on their vacations and take their time to go and to see others and to encourage them in the Lord. I pray, this is a long time coming, I pray that there is a day when you and I will have missions partnerships on all the continents of the earth, here at home, abroad, everywhere. And that's not something that happens overnight. But I pray that we will be sending and we will be going 
and you say, I, I don't have the time or the money to give to this, let me ask you this. Do you have one week a year? Can you give 98% of your time here at home and 2% of your time abroad? I pray that there's a day when people will join this church and we will tell them to apply for a passport because we have such a heart and a desire for people who do not know Jesus. That's what it means to be all in. That whether you're across the street or around the world, you are on mission for Christ, that we're obedient to his word, that we wake up every day living for the glory of God, that we stop thinking of what your life looks like in 30 years, and you start look, thinking about what your life looks like in 30 million years. When you are gathered together for all eternity, you've got to stop living for the things that are temporal and start living for the things that are eternal. You've got to stop living for the things that are seen and start living for the things that are not seen. Bible calls us to do and when we go and when we share in faithfulness God's word is implanted God's word is passed along that's how he chooses to do it I met on this past trip a guy who went with us one of the craziest individuals I've ever seen and I told him that to his face and he laughed he stood it on the on the front row his name was Tom Patterson. He looks like Uncle Sialf, Duck Dynasty. I got a picture for you. That's a preacher and a missionary to Malawi, and he now lives in the eastern mountains of Kentucky. So you've been to eastern Kentucky? Any of you been to the mountains? Uncle Tom will meet you there. He's a, he's a unique cat. And uh, we got to the point where we would just kind of mess with him because he would just say stuff that was just off the wall. And you know how I am with people like that. I love to give them a hard way to go. So I'm asking him all these questions. We asked him, we said, did Moses tell you to grow that beer, Tom, or did you try to be like Duck Dynasty? And I, I can't tell you the response that he gave. It wasn't vulgar, but it was inappropriate. And it, was, it, was, it was something that he probably shouldn't have said. But I'll tell you this. This guy spent the whole trip doing something unusual Within a few seconds of meeting him, we got on the plane to go to Brazil. He sat down with somebody who was of Brazilian descent. And I bet 90 seconds into the conversation, I heard him say, I've got a question for you. He looked at the guy and he said, do you know Jesus? I thought, man, he doesn't waste any time. The guy looked at him kind of funny. I saw him do that all over the place. I saw him do that with people who couldn't speak English. They speak Portuguese down here. And he's just going up, handing them Brazilian track and saying, do you know Jesus? I saw him teach a Sunday school class. And I thought, man, this is going to be a train wreck because he's crazy. They're not going to understand it. He had them eating out of his hand with a translator. They understood everything that he said. And I stopped him at one point. And I asked him, I said, Tom, what's enabled you to go on to live for Jesus the way you do? He says, I just remember that he died for me. And I love him. And I want others to love him because I know that he's worth it. And he said, my dying breath is that I'll be able to lead one more person to Christ. And just when we got back on the plane, headed back for a nine-hour flight, when everybody's tired and exhausted, there was this lady standing next to us. And I guess she overheard our conversation. And we said something about having a translator, having an interpreter. And she said, I can interpret for you. I speak a couple of languages. She said that in English. And Tom looked at her and he said, I got a personal question for you. And I thought, man, here we go. <laughs> he goes... Do you know Jesus? And I'm going to tell you what, that lady teared up. It's been a long time since she had been asked that question. She said, I do, but life is tough right now. And he just started encouraging her in the Lord. And I thought, God help me to have that kind of boldness 
Because we can talk about experience and years, education and all these other things, but I'm just going to tell you this, nothing will replace the anointing of God on your life. That when you're filled with God's Spirit and you look at people every single day, wherever He's placed you, not as colleagues with whom you work, not as family members that you got to put up with, but people whom God has called you to be a witness for Christ, it changes things. It changes your outlook. And when you share of the joy of your salvation, the world cannot help and see and respond. So that's the question that we ask. Do you know Jesus? Do they know Jesus? Let's introduce them to them. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.